Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our twice-weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. I am Max Boltman. With me, as always, is Prashant Iyer, and the wait continues to see what on earth the NHL is going to do about its draft and uh, how it's going to affect the Red Wings. Certainly, it seemed at one point like we were going to know by now. Yeah, I, I honestly think at this point what the NHL is doing is they're just kind of leaking um, a little bit of information and then taking in what the public says about it and then figuring out, is this a passable solution that I can sneak by everybody or do I need to take this back to the drawing board? Because as you kind of watch the tweets unfold over the week, it was like, all right, it seems like the NHL is pretty close. Potentially, even on Monday, we're going to go ahead with this June draft idea using the old 2000 to 2012 rules. And then as the week kind of dragged down, you're like, uh, you start getting information. All right, the NHL wants to make the right decision, not the fast decision. And now the decision may stretch into next week. And now all of a sudden there's a bunch of GMs that are really mad at this plan. So it almost just seems like they're kind of leaking to find what's something that's going to be relatively well accepted. Well, I do wonder, like, what is the ultimate, like, ending point of this? Because it seemed like, the, at the beginning, the thing everyone was worried about, and you and I both thought this was kind of, kind of a pointless worry, was a, a, a team winning the lottery on the Cup. And then it, this proposed reversion back to the old lottery was uh, ultimately kind of probably an overcorrection to that. And now a lot of people got mad about that. And so ultimately, if, if they're just going to keep going, push and pull... I kind of wonder where this ends up. Does it end up at one of the polls and, and people ultimately, you know, see that, oh, well, the alternative is, is this. And so, you know, pro, you know, plan B is the, is the better option or does it end up almost like somewhere in the middle? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's mind boggling, like how difficult the NHL is making this. Like if you just wanted to calculate the probability of a team that's, let's say 14th, uh, in the, in the lottery pool right now, winning the lottery and then winning the Stanley Cup. I mean, you're talking about substantially less than 1% because already as it is, their odds to win, you know, the, the lottery or even move up is going to be very, relatively slim. Couple that with the fact that by virtue of being in 14th, uh, in the lottery position, they're, they're 17th in the NHL. Their, their chances of winning the Stanley Cup are also already very slim. I mean, you're talking about, infinitesimally small odds here and, and that's what the NHL is worried about avoiding which I just think they're, they're substantially overcorrecting too so you know maybe you find some proposal now where instead of a June draft and a 2014 playoff maybe now you're talking about 10 teams being in the lottery and having some kind of different odds and having maybe a, a 21 or a 20 team playoff uh, something like that, but who who knows where the NHL is going for? But I think ultimately you saw a lot of people get really really upset when it seemed like an almost certainty that the the NHL was going to go ahead with this June draft. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think the uh, man, I think I think what it was is hockey Twitter really needed to to get those. I don't know if they're competitive juices, combative juices, maybe the best word for it. They really need something to argue about. And uh, the possibility of the Red Wings and Senators being, uh, you know, virtually assured, actually, actually assured, uh, top three picks under the proposed system. I think it provided the, uh, the forum for that. Yeah, I really think that was it. And then, you know, having a natural villain to go after for Detroit fans, I think when Greg Wyshynski of ESPN kind of tweeted out that, you know, why should Detroit get to disproportionately benefit from 
uh, a rule change made midseason, which again I think is a very valid statement to make. Like the NHL is literally modifying rules midseason, and and if you had had the 2000 to 2012 rules from the very get go, maybe you have had some teams make some different moves along the way. But as soon as that got tweeted out, it was man, you know why why are we railing against Detroit here? Do we not think Detroit deserves this? Um, and then there was this kind of assertion of of tanking made that. You know, Detroit wanted to be in this position, and now they're going to get disproportionately rewarded for being in this position. I think it was very much the the kind of fuel that Red Wings fans needed to all unite and just kind of lash out. Yeah, and I actually I didn't think that the the argument that was being had there really made a whole lot of sense. It devolved into, you know, did the Red Wings like really tank, or was it passive or active? And to me, those are all kind of pointless distinctions. Like, it, you either think that the the worst team should have the first pick, uh, or or at least like the a, a you know lopsided odds at it, or you don't, and that's fine. But like, whether you were trying to tank or not, I don't think has a ton of bearing. But what I find interesting about it is like some team is going to disproportionately benefit from whatever they decide. That's just how it works when you decide to put the draft before the return to the season. Which, by the way, I don't have a problem with. I think it's fine. I think the league is in. A very weird boat, and even though it's it's going to throw a lot of people off um, and a lot of teams off in their prep, I don't think it's the worst idea to to get something you know on the docket. Now that said, I am one of the big beneficiaries if they do it early because I will have something newsy to do. So you know, I would be one of the people who who benefit. Uh, you can even say disproportionately from an early draft, right? So I get that. But the point is, some team is getting an edge by this happening. And the argument that I thought was interesting is people really didn't seem to want it to be the Red Wings. Yeah, it was very fascinating, like, how it all devolved and and kind of progressed. Like, uh, for whatever reason, a lot of people really don't want the Red Wings to be the team that disproportionately benefits here. And again, you know, you can't really say the Red Wings disproportionately benefit without also mentioning how much Ottawa benefits by the fact that their picks couldn't drop uh, multiple slots. Like now they're guaranteed at worst to pick three and four, which again is a unbelievable scenario for Ottawa to be in in this draft. So it's not only just Detroit, but it's also Ottawa. But I, I you know, I think what really got to a lot of people was the assertion of, of tanking and, and whether or not a team should benefit from tanking and whether or not a team actually tanked. I think I saw, at least in my corner of the world, a lot of the arguments from Detroit fans was, did the Red Wings tank? And I think it all comes down to how you actually define tanking. Because I think the NHL has kind of criminalized the word almost to a certain extent because when the Oilers won you know, so many lotteries in a row, I mean, you're talking about the NHL's changing the rules, significantly altering the lottery odds to where we're at now now allowing multiple teams to be able to jump up into those top spots. Uh, you know, it's really shifted the landscape against this concept of, of tanking, even though I think in today's NHL, building through the draft is effectively the same thing as saying, I would like to place highly in the draft and I'm going to get there. But I think the question of active versus passive tanking was also another big issue in this uh, this whole debate. But why, I guess, is my question. Like, like, why why is it that a team who, you know, manages its roster in a way that results in it getting 
the best odds at a high pick. Why is that so much morally better than a team that mismanages its roster in a way that results in getting a high pick? Like, why do we want to reward one and not reward another if, if we're saying that passive versus active tanking is is the debate? Yeah, and that's exactly it. Like, I'm completely with you, Max. It doesn't matter for me how you get there. And in fact, actively trying to get there is the smartest team or smartest thing a team like the Red Wings could have done this season. And and you knew that up front. And that was the thing. Like from the get-go, while Steve Eiserman is not using the words, we are going to tank, he is saying we are going to build through the draft. Did he actively make moves to make this team worse? No, he didn't. But at the same time, he didn't go out and try and chase something that wasn't realistic. And I think that's that's the piece where if you want to call that tanking, a lot of people are getting upset about. But the fact of the matter is Steve Eisenman was this ship's commander. He knew where this ship was going, and he didn't change the course. The course is it's going to take a while for the Red Wings to get better. They needed to win the best pick or at least give themselves the best opportunity this year. And he did that by making shrewd moves, small moves, things that didn't move the needle a lot for this season, but could potentially have implications down the road. He got what he could for certain assets like Andreas Athanasiu instead of committing the money in in the offseason and kind of resets the clock a little bit. And so I think people have an issue in Detroit, at least labeling that as tanking, but I think call it whatever you want. It was the smart thing to do. And, and my personal opinion is you should reward those teams. They recognized it and they did it. But my thing is the NHL does not place a moral value per se in, in the form of like draft quote unquote rewards in being smart. They don't place a moral value in being stupid. They don't place any of that. It's just like the draft exists to be what it is, which is to boost the bad teams up into competitive levels, right? Because they want they want that on some level, right? Well, I think that's the purpose of the draft, but I think the NHL has actually made it such that those bad teams need to get lucky in order to dig themselves out of the hole. I think what they've done is they've made it much harder for bad teams to dig out by swinging against this concept of tanking. With the lottery, you're saying? Yeah, with the yeah, lottery. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I'm saying like the draft on the whole is not designed to say – it's it's supposed to help the smart teams or it's supposed to help the you know the teams that you know against all against all logic are trying to go for it every year that's not the point of the draft that is the point of the lottery though and so i just think it's interesting like when when, when people talk about like you know rewarding or incentivizing tanking this lottery in particular does not incentivize anything because what has happened is done you're not providing an incentive for anyone to do anything because they don't have time to like that. What's what's the lottery? The standings are written in stone. So what this lottery is deciding is how do you solve the problems that the competing problems of number one, maintaining the kind of, I guess, consistency would be the value. It's not so much integrity. Like it's just consistency. Um, the consistency of, of how the draft picks are awarded versus, you know, what is, what was, I guess, perceived as a threat of having, you know, a, a bad team manage to, to play both ends. And to me, I don't really see that as an issue, but if you're going to concede that it's an issue, then you have to manage it. So those are the kind of conflicting issues here. I don't think there's any incentive in play because there's nothing anyone can do about where they sit. So it's just kind of bickering about like, 
this random idea of deserving a number one or number two pick, which like I don't know that you can deserve it when like you know I don't know we're we go way off the off the board here, and you and I will start talking about abolishing the draft, and that's fine too if that's what we want to do. That's what I was about to say. I was like, all right, so you want to know how you solve this? Yeah. Abolish the draft and abolish the rookie maximum contract. I agree. And this is going to work itself out naturally. I agree. Like completely. that's the easiest way out of here. But it's not going to happen. So if we try to stay in somewhat the realm of reality. Just the idea of deserving, I think we can agree, like, that's not really how the draft has ever been conducted unless you want to start trying to put a moral value on losing. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's exactly it. And, and so in the present day with the, with the draft and with the lottery, the way it exists, like, you know, it, this is all just bickering to, to bicker, but, you know, if the NHL really wanted to fix it, I think you do go, you, you at some point have to explore this concept of, of abolishing the draft and and getting rid of the rookie maximum contract. And I think it's a fascinating idea maybe to spend a little bit of time on because I don't know that this is necessarily an idea that's been floated around a lot publicly, but I think the natural concern that people have is, all right, well, then you're basically turning this into college football where the Alabamas, the LSUs, the the, the teams that routinely recruit well uh, are the teams that are going to consistently be good, the Dukes and UNC and basketball – the thing is, I don't, I don't see it playing out that way because the one key difference is, is the salary cap. And so if you remove what the rookie max could be, I think money talks, opportunity talks, playing time talks. And, and I think the incentive of winning a Stanley Cup, uh, is far lower than, hey, I can triple your salary here right out the get go. I agree. And and I think like, you know, the fact that, you know, talking about it turning into college football, there is a difference in talking about 31, 32 teams, you know, competing over this pool of players. And I think it's 119 in Division One FBS. At least it was when the NCAA video games were still out. Yeah, somewhere around there. There may be a couple. I know like App State, I think, has moved up since the last NCAA game. But regardless, you're somewhere in that ballpark, but you have a quarter of the teams competing and you have a salary cap in place. You can't just... Uh, you know, you can't just make money appear out of thin air to get these players to come there. And, and while you're worried about potential big market advantages or, or things along those lines, you also have a set amount of players on the roster. It's a much smaller roster than in football. Uh, you're not talking about 50 plus players on your, on your roster plus practice squad, things like that. And you're also talking about being able to offer the opportunity to play. Again, it's not like football where you have you know, 22 guys between offense and defense, and then you've got special teams. There's a lot of different guys that they get into the mix. You you just don't have that in hockey. And so I do think the opportunity to play, the ability to offer more money, and, you know, being able to give different incentives would ultimately allow for this to be a pretty fair market uh, for these prospects to come up and, and come in. Big picture, I think, you know, it's almost like you'd almost talk about going to like the the European soccer, like, um, academy model where if you want to, you can bring a player in young and play for like your youth organization. I guess they do that in Europe, really, don't they? I mean, it's not quite an academy, I don't think, but yeah. I mean, it is effectively an academy for some of the teams in like La Liga with, I mean, Barcelona's got kids that have been you know, coming through their academy, Real Madrid, and, and, you know, other organizations like that. Oh, I mean, I in, mean, in sure. hockey too, though. But yeah, like, they definitely have oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. soccer. But like, they, they kind of like, you know, before Moritz Sider played for Adler Mannheim, he played for a team called Young Adler Mannheim. Yeah, I mean, effectively, when you think about how Sweden and, and Finland's leagues work with the progression between 
kind of the, the super elite all Svenskin and, and SHL, um, while I don't think it's necessarily the same as you see in soccer, you've got a similar concept in hockey. Why not re, you know, why not take out uh, what you've got with the ECHL right now, which is just, again, a bunch of guys who are either uh, never good enough to play in the NHL and are now stuck there, or it's the mix of the really, you know, good prospects that are able to transition there, but not good enough to be in the AHL. Why don't you start turning that into like a feeder for the AHL and then uh, AHL being a feeder to the NHL and you actually get a little bit more movement and maybe offer these players that kind of opportunity. I think the, the possibilities are endless, but I, you know, you could certainly do it like a feeder league system. The argument against always tends to be from teams who are worried their their team won't be able to convince any of the top players to sign with them out of let's say you know I don't know at that point is it sixteen is it whatever age but you know I think even like the let's say like the Winnipeg's of the world where you know they're sometimes described as like a less desirable location well Winnipeg has some good like homegrownish talent and if you're gonna be able to get guys into your system early and they can stay closer to home you've got that opportunity you've got an owner that I mean Winnipeg typically is a big spender so they be able to offer big sums of money, whereas you're still going to have the salary cap in place, I presume, and something like that. Um, now, with all that, so I, I think there's, you know, every every kind of place even has advantages. The Florida Panthers of the world have no state tax and a beautiful place to live. All that stuff, you know, they they they've pulled free agents. So I don't think it's it's a hundred percent, you know, assured that going to that kind of system would erode, you know, all parity. Although in the European leagues, there are certainly there do tend to be some dominant um, organizations over there. But that said, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's really, you know, too realistic. But at the end of the day, like when you when when you get talking about deserving and draft, you you basically end up ascribing a morality to picking these players that I'm not so sure really exists, right? Like like one half of people can say the deserving team is the team that needs it. And one half of people can say the deserving team is the team that, you know, managed to be good anyway. Like you could, you could argue that the Columbus Blue Jackets are the most deserving of a reward because they should have been terrible this year and are like basically on fringe playoff position. Like you could make that argument and I think it would be somewhat credible. There's a difference between deserve and need would be the argument. But I also think yeah. the interest of the league seems to be the, the teams who really need it have gotten it. And so I, there's a very good case for deserve there. But I think you're just going to go in circles as long as that's the premise of the argument, you know? So the debate ultimately here is going to be what solves the problem of getting people on board with this. And to me, that says something has to come up at the middle ground. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it's, again, just a lot of semantics. It's a lot of, you know, bickering about things that ultimately – aren't relevant to what the actual problem is right now. And and again, it's what do you even perceive the problem to be? Like we've said, you know, the NHL seems to think the problem is that a team could win the lottery and, and win the Stanley Cup. And while those odds are infinitesimally small, they exist. I don't know that that's the problem. You and I have said that. So then it comes, all right, if that's not the problem, then what's the next problem we need to solve? Um, and ultimately, the, the question I think everybody's really asking is, why do we even need to have the draft before the before you've made a decision on the regular season, unless it's all coming in one fell swoop? Um, and again, you know, I think from Steve Eiserman's standpoint, where he's made the comments that he wouldn't necessarily care from the from uh, for a June draft. I think that also comes into play with what are you going to do with the conditional picks? What are you going to do with 
you know, draft day trades. What are you going to do with trades for a player uh, for a draft pick? Um, what are you going to do with these future considerations deals that have been potentially leaked as as an option? I think ultimately the NHL has far bigger problems than the one they fixated on. But for some reason, that's the one they fixated on. And, and you're getting a lot of kind of meaningless bickering on that. Yeah, and and you know I'll reiterate like you know don't don't start talking people out of my preferred option, which is that I have something to do for the next month. But if there is a June draft and the Red Wings don't get you know kind of one of these top picks, which could happen either via a, kind of a um, weighted a, a newly weighted lottery or just because the way that that's favored to uh, a, a way that it could very well go is they get one of the top picks just on the on the normal lottery. But if that doesn't happen, they're going to come out of this in a, in a in a disadvantaged spot because one of their main assets is their cap space. And if the draft proceeds in a way that, you know, you can't really take a playoff teams or potentially any teams, depending on what the rules shake out to be, um, player on a like problematic contract in exchange for a draft pick, that's going to really disadvantage and devalue one of their main assets. So it's not just a fact of like the Red Wings get a kind of big reward and the Senators get kind of a big reward or, or gift or whatever you want to call it by a, you know, reverting to the old lottery. It's that if you don't, they're actually going to be in some of the worst positions because they're two of the teams with the most cap space and the most, you know, uh, incentive to do something like that. And by the way, the teams that they would be trading with would be disadvantaged. But I find it interesting, like, like when, when you talk about solving the problem, it kind of it kind of makes sense to me that on one hand on one side of this teams like the Red Wings and the Senators get really disadvantaged and on the other side they get disproportionately advantaged there's got to be something to meet in the middle i i keep i guess i keep keep kind of dancing around this without proposing something but that's kind of where where i feel like there has to be like i don't know is it is it you you still go to 3 spots but you change the odds is it do you go to 2 spots is it that you cap the number of teams that that can or the number of spots teams can move up but still do 3 drawings like i i feel like there has to be a way to blend those because at one end of the spectrum, the worst teams are getting, um, you know, really disproportionate gifts. And at the other end, they're really being hampered at a time that they were supposed to be able to make important moves. Yeah. I mean, my personal belief in all of this is the simplest solution is, is the best solution here, which is you don't hold the draft until you've made a decision on the season. If you're going to play out the season, then you hold it as normal because those are the rules that were set in place for this year. And if you decide that you're not going to conclude the regular season, but you're going to proceed with the playoffs, then you just go by reverse points uh, percentage and you hold the same lottery that you were going to. And if you decide you're scrapping everything entirely, you still go with just reverse points percentage for the lottery, but you play the lottery as is. I think it's the fairest way to move since those are the agreed upon rules for the league right now. Um, but that being said, it, it certainly doesn't, you know, do what Detroit fans want, what I personally want, what you want, which is, you know, ha- having the ability for Detroit to pick first overall or second overall automatically. Just, I mean, that would completely revolutionize how this franchise uh, is able to turn things around. So the, the, to me, the simplest answer is you just stick with the current lottery and ultimately the decision on the season dictates who gets to participate. 
I don't even care where they pick so much as I, I want, uh, I want to know so I can get to work on, on, on what the options are. Like there's very different paths forward for me personally in terms of what I need to be, be spending my time on one way or the other. I will say if they move it till after the season goes, you are running the extreme risk of competing against the NFL news cycle in your draft. Maybe not a game per se, because it's usually a Friday and a Saturday. Um, but it really takes some of the potential to, to, to capture an audience off. Uh, and I think that's something that, you know, considering the financial situation the league is going to be in with lost revenue matters and, the, you know, the TV network situation here matters. Um, but, you know, I guess it all comes back to how much of a moneymaker you expect the draft to be. How much of a publicity generator do you expect the draft to be? Those are questions I can't necessarily answer. And I think it's all being, you know, hypothesized. But, you know, in a month, I mean, I don't know about you, but whenever I go out for a walk, it seems sure seems like the number of cars on the road has uh, has increased substantially. I kind of wonder what that's going to be like a month from now. I kind of wonder if people will will be as captive an audience as uh, as they might have been thought to be two three weeks ago in June. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. I I just don't get the incentive because the NHL draft has never been a money maker, uh, at least in the United States. Like if you look at the TV ratings uh, relative to the NFL draft, I mean, the NFL draft routinely pulls in four to five million people. Uh, the NBA draft routinely pulls in around three and a half to four million people. The NHL draft is a tenth of that, usually in the 300,000s um, in terms of the number of people that watch first round coverage, which is roughly on par with what you get in baseball in the WNBA. So I don't know that the NHL draft has ever been a big money maker. And that's why it just doesn't make a lot of sense that if, again, I think the NHL is fixating on the wrong problem here that I just don't think this is a money maker and running up against the NFL news cycle is just not a concern for me because you already weren't pulling in a lot of people. Uh, and, and I just can't imagine that that was a huge money making thing for the NHL to worry about. But again, they may be just fixated on the wrong problem. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think that's fair to say. It, it's going to be interesting either way. I mean, I, I think, I know everyone's on pins and needles. I would, you know, I would say, the last time we recorded an episode, I don't know if, it, if we did that Sunday or Monday. All the days are the same now. But it, I definitely thought that based on all the momentum, there was going to be an announcement that the Red Wings were going to make out like bandits. Uh, the more the time that goes by without something, I don't know, don't, don't you feel like that just feels less and less likely? Yeah, I think the longer uh, we're waiting to hear, I think it's more the NHL, again, leaking this out, seeing the backlash, and then going, all right, we got to go back to the drawing board, and now they're kind of hammering out a different proposal. Um, but it, it, the one thing that I haven't shaken is I think they've settled on a June draft. It's just how they're going to conduct it is, I think, what they're hammering out at this point. I think a June draft is almost a certainty based on just what the reporting has looked like from Pierre Lebrun, what it's looked like from Bob McKenzie, and and the other guys that are very, very well connected. I think everything that's kind of come out in terms of the waiting period hasn't necessarily pointed away from the June draft. It's just how it's going to be done. So I don't I don't know that you'll get the guarantee of, of one and two, and maybe it moves to something where there's one draft lottery winner, but they can move up as high as you know they want to, um, or potentially you have it uh, even – you know, more varied where you still have three winners, but uh, the odds are, again, done a little bit differently. I don't know what's going to happen. I still think you're going to have a June draft. It just won't be as much of a slam dunk for Detroit. 
Where I really, you know, feel bad for Red Wings fans here is that they endured a season of, I, I don't know quite if we can call it like historic based on all of history, but certainly in like the, in the, in the last two decades, like the hardest season to endure for, for a fan base in the last two decades. And they finally got to a place where, you know, okay, here it is. It's, it's April. It's May. This is supposed to be their time where there's no, nothing but excitement. I mean, sure, they could drop to fourth in the draft lottery, but at the end of the day, they, they've been bracing for that all year and, and all that stuff. Uh, and the, and by, by going through this ordeal, if it comes out that they're not going to get these one and two odds, which they could never have expected or even dreamed of three months ago, it's going to feel like another loss to take for them. Yeah, it's going to be an absolute gut punch. And kind of the funny running joke is that, you know, for the last couple of years, right, the Wings have moved down the maximum number of spots. They've been leapfrogged three times, and they've picked sixth. And and so the running joke always was, well, Detroit will find some way to pick sixth. And then now you kind of run the whole season. It became very obvious that Detroit was, you know, going to be dead last. And so everyone had come to terms with picking fourth overall. And you're looking at, all right, what are the differences between a Tim Stutzla, Lucas Raymond, a, a Marco Rossi, Cole Perfetti, the guys that are going to be there at four. But then you get this glimmer of hope, and now it's potentially getting sucker punched away from you again. And so it's just it, they're, they're being pulled through the, the ringer here. You feel for them because, I mean, when the news came out on Monday, the first thing I tweeted was, Red Wings fans didn't watch this team have a minus 122 goal differential in 71 games for absolutely nothing. Um, and now potentially you're going to go back to fourth pick or potentially even worse depending on what the NHL decides. Yeah, no, I know. And, and I'm, I'm fully uh, expecting that if that happens that the, the fan base will be very unhappy. And I think they'll have a right to be very unhappy, frankly, even though I know people will call, will, will say things on Twitter about, you know, what you thought you just deserve those picks or something like that. And, and the argument will devolve. But I, you know, Red Wings fans have endured a lot of disappointment. And it's not to say that like the NHL should, should, uh, you know, account for that and just hand them a top two pick. But I think the way that this all played out with it, there seeming to be a ton of momentum for this. And I'm sure the NHL intended it for, for it to all be behind closed doors. And, you know, whether that was a reasonable expectation or not is another matter. But, uh, it, it is absolutely going to disappoint a lot of people in Detroit if that's how it plays out. And conversely, it's going to thrill a lot of people in Detroit if it does work out that they're going to get one of these guys because both of them, Alexi Lafreniere, Quentin Byfield, and even if you want to bring Tim Stutzel into the conversation, uh, which I think is fair to do, he's a really good player, um, all of those are, are potential game changers for the Red Wings in, in their long-term rebuild. Yeah, I mean, you completely agree. And so as long as, and, and again, I should say this, even if the Wings pick fourth, they're still picking yeah. out of a potential game changer. Yeah. Uh, you're still getting an incredibly talented player. Like I said, I think Marco Rossi has the potential to be the second best player from this draft, and he should be there at four, uh, depending on what Ottawa and potentially the three teams that jump ahead of Detroit do. That being said, you know, having the promise of a first or second overall with potentially as high as a 57% chance of landing Alexi Lafreniere, I mean, you know, that people will just be ecstatic. Yep, absolutely. Do you have like let's let's try to kind of craft a a middle ground proposal since I think I at least kind of danced around it all episode. What's would be your your middle ground proposal if you were going to try and, you know, manage these two competing, you know, I guess we'll call them issues or two competing factions, whatever whatever it is on on who the draft uh what the draft should be guarding against most heavily, the draft lottery. 
I think the middle ground issue, or really the middle ground proposal, should address the fact that in the 2000 to 2012 uh, lottery odds, a team could only move up a maximum of four spots. And so by virtue of that, what that does is for any team picking outside the top five, it transfers all of their lottery odds for first overall to the team that is worst overall. And that's why people have kind of picked apart the proposal because while Detroit by itself has an 18.5% chance at winning the draft lottery, they would get the odds that are summed basically from picks 6 through 15 uh, because even if they won, they couldn't move up more than four spots, meaning Detroit would stay where they are. Um, that odd, those odds automatically transfer to Detroit. And so that's what ends up adding, you know, another 40 plus, uh, percent to, or I should say 30 plus percent to Detroit's odds to put them around that 57%, uh, mark. So that's where I think the proposal has to be changed. You could maybe have, uh, a middle ground where whoever wins the lottery gets first overall. I think that's one way to do it. And you can have Detroit maintain the same, Odds, uh, you can have them go back to the 2000s and 2012 odds with a slight adjustment to add the 15 team. But in the 2000 to 2012 odds to win the first overall pick outright, uh, Detroit would have been at 25% and second was 18%. I think a one and a quarter shots more than reasonable. So if you want to redistribute draft odds from that way, but have the winner be able to move all the way up to first, I think that's a great way to go about it, and I think that'd be my middle ground proposal. I think mine would be in, in a way of trying to address kind of both ideas that you don't want the Red Wings and Senators to have crazy odds at the top two picks, and you don't want a potential team to win the cup and win the lottery would be the NHL probably by now knows whether it's going to finish the regular season and go to a 16-team playoff. I mean, maybe I guess I shouldn't say. They probably don't know. They probably have a preference one way or the other. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. But I think that the, the reality is either either way, whichever way that decision goes, and you know, there's still a lot of factors that that can affect it. You know that at most it's 24, right? Is that that's the 24 team seems to be the highest. That's the largest number. proposal I've seen. Yeah. So don't dwindle it to one lottery drawing. Uh, but still, you know, so, so still do three drawings, but cap the number of spots you can move up at six so that the only teams that can win it are teams that would be out of that, um, you know, 24 team largest potential tournament. So there are some disadvantaged teams by that, no doubt. Our apologies to our producer, Chris, who uh, is of the Montreal Canadiens persuasion. They would be like the team right on the bubble there that doesn't get it. But if, but I do think like, if you're getting the, you know, the playoff shot, I think that's something, you know, that matters too, even though I don't think those teams are going to win. And that's why I think it's a silly concern. But let's say that's the, that's, that's a concern because it certainly sounds to have been based on everything that's come out. Um, if you cap it at six spots, you can move up. So you bring two new teams into the equation and you keep the three drawings. It's going to raise the odds of teams like Detroit and Ottawa. It's going to prohibit, but it, but it's not going to do so drastically. It's going to cont- to keep having you know three teams that the potential the the bottom spot the rung that the Red Wings could drop to will stay at four, even if it becomes less likely. Um, and you avoid that that other outcome. I, I think that's a middle ground that it, I don't think it makes anyone happy. But I don't think whatever the solution to this is is going to make everyone happy, or really anyone yeah. happy necessarily. I mean, to be 
fair. That's why I think I just default back to finish the season and then figure out uh, your draft because while, you know, Red Wings fans won't be happy if they drop to fourth, those were the agreed upon rules. And so at the end of the day, that's fair. But if you're adamant about this June draft, then I think the the fairest way you go about it is one of the two proposals. If you're going to go to the 24 teams and then follow your proposal max where maybe a team can only move up a max of six spots to, to guard against this infinitesimally small concern the NHL has about a team winning the lottery and then winning the Stanley Cup. Um, or you, you default to where anyone can do it, which removes the NHL's concern. Um, and anyone who ever wins can just uh, move up to first. But you redistribute the odds such that they're a little bit more even. Like maybe you put Detroit at 25% and you work your percentages down from there. Yeah, and you know, let's say Montreal or Chicago does win. They're still going to move up to second or third. That's still a coup, you know. So it's not like those teams are getting completely left out in the cold if you end up not going to the 24 team and you end up with, with a normal playoffs or no playoffs. Like, I think there's still yeah. value in that. Yeah, I mean, Chicago, to be able to go back-to-back, uh, you know, with Quentin Byfield and Kirby Dock, like, that's that's ridiculous. Now you're talking about them being loaded all over again at the center position or even Montreal being able to add, you know, one of those guys uh, like a Byfield, a Stutzlow, or a, a Rossi or Raymond up to their, their prospect pool. I mean, that's huge for either of them. So I think... That would certainly be looked on more favorably by those teams. And, and, it, and it solves the problem of, of guaranteeing the top two pick, which to me, like I'm sure the 57% was striking and all that, but it's, at the end of the day, it's still just like a slightly weighted coin flip. To me, I think that the harsher reaction by people was to the um, the guaranteeing the top two and only one lottery drawing. And I know I don't know that I ever really understood why that was the idea anyway. Is it just because that was the old rules? Because like – only one team is ever going to win first overall anyway, and I don't think the the PR or the the optic worry is, is as bad of a team getting second overall and then winning the cup. It's not it's not quite the same uh, sting, you know. Yeah, I, I just don't understand. But you know, the NHL they love to fixate on things that aren't really issues, and so I think that's so do I. What's happened here? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so everyone does that, but in a, in a more real, more important scheme right now, talking about the NHL, they just. They're, they've always done that. So it's just, it's fixating on things that aren't that important in the, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I think that's fair. Going to take a quick pause right there to talk about Manscaped. If you are bored in the house, bored in the house, bored, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving thanks to their Lawnmower 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with their new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Shaving is about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. Inside the perfect package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. Subscribe to the perfect package and get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC. 
All right. Anything else on the on the draft subject before we move on and into the listener questions? No, let's hit the questions. All right. So the first one is uh I gotta find the person who said it. It was an email question. I will go back and find the person who said this. But you know, Ken Holland apparently has made some public comments about needing more picks for scouts. If the draft goes ahead in June and Edmonton's first round pick is on the table, do you realistically see a trade between them? So basically uh, the, the question is, like, could you see Detroit trading up to the 20th pick in exchange for 32 and some seconds and thirds um, in order to get the Oilers' scouts more picks, which I think is kind of the premise of the Holland comments is needing to get more picks for the scouts. Number one, do you think Detroit should do that? Number two, do you think Edmonton would do that is the question. Yeah, it's an interesting dilemma for Edmonton, right? Because right now what Ken Holland's inherited is he's got the first-round pick, but he doesn't have a second-round pick. And then he's got a third round pick that's a conditional pick based on if uh, James Neal had scored 21 goals and Milan Lucic scored 10 or fewer goals. And so that's an interesting condition in and of itself. If you don't complete the regular season before the draft, how does that pick, you know, get transferred? Does it get transferred? Uh, but then Edmonton doesn't have their fourth round pick by virtue of a, another conditional deal that was uh, you know, made for Mike Green, where again, if Mike Green, uh, was able to play for the Oilers and play more than 50% of the games and, and Edmonton advanced to the conference finals and that 2024th actually goes to a 2021 third. So then Edmonton gets that fourth back. So all that being said, where Edmonton's at right now is they have a first, uh, a third, a fifth, sixth, and seventh. And so, yeah, I mean, if you're Edmonton, you want to make sure you're adding more picks. I think once you get into the the 20 range this year, I think there's a lot of variance between 20 and 40. So if I'm Edmonton and I'm able to get, you know, a 32 and potentially uh, another second round pick, given that Detroit's got so many picks in the first three rounds or, or even a third round pick, uh, I think you do that deal if you're Edmonton and you consider doing it if you're Detroit, depending on who's available at 20. I mean, we don't know how the draft board shakes out, but there's a lot of guys that are potentially valuable at 20. I mean, I've seen some mocks where Rodi and Amarov is sitting there at 19, uh, you know, and he's an exceptionally talented player. Uh, there are, you know, rumors that potentially you see guys like uh, Maverick Bork sliding. You see guys like um, Seth Jarvis sliding or, in even more intriguing scenarios, a guy like Yaroslav Askarov slides to 20. And if he's there at 20, do you, do you trade up and make that deal? So I think it'd be interesting from both teams' perspectives. But ultimately, if I was in their shoes, I would rather be the team acquiring more picks than the team trading up to 20. I think that that's fair. And I think, you know, when we went through our mock draft exercise on here, few weeks back now, one of the things we noticed is that there's kind of a soft spot in the kind of middle of the first round in terms of, you know, guys who are going to have to be drafted um, that, you know, I guess a, a drop off is a, is a more fair way to say after like the top eight or nine big drop off. And then it, it does kind of pick back up into some interesting names um, in the, in the later half of the first round into the top of the second. To me, the question is like, is there a guy who's fallen from like maybe your, your teens tier? to 20 who you and Edmonton just have a disagreement on. And then you're saying there's no way that guy falls to 32 and there, you know, there's not that many people that you're interested in. Like, let's say there's four guys on the board at 20 that you really like. And then another drop off, then I'm making that move. But if there's like 10, 
you got a pretty good chance that one of them falling to you at 32. So I can see the motivation for Edmonton to do something like that because if if you want more picks, the the value of pick 20 versus 32 isn't that stark. You know, with pick 32, you're gonna get you know all night Friday night to kind of you know go over some last things, make any final calls, get any final insights because it it is the the first pick of the second day, so you have time to really make that decision and. You know, maybe there's value in that. I'm sure you've discussed everyone as ad nauseum, but you know, final checkups, whatever, that's fine. Um, but at the end of the day, the situation that it would take to do that, and and the question, by the way, came from um, Damien Quizer from Canberra, Australia. So shout out to Australia. Um, the only situation it makes sense is if you and Edmonton have a pretty clear disagreement about there being a a player like who has fallen to 20 who had no business being there or not and if Edmonton doesn't think so and you do then I think you can make the deal otherwise I think you're kind of just trading up to trade up yeah and that's exactly it and I think you described this dilemma really well because again when I look at this draft uh I see guys one through ten being pretty clear one through ten but then ten to twenty are guys that you like but they have some flaws so I don't really love taking them and then guys really between 20 through, let's say, 35 or 20 through 40 are guys that I really like, but not enough to take them at 10 to 20. And so it comes into a scenario where you could see guys that are slated right now on mocks between 10 to 20 sliding into the back half of the first round. And you could see guys that are in the 20 to 40 range really go in the first round or be available in the middle of the second round. So I think the smart move is you hang on to those picks and if there's a guy you absolutely love, like you said, Max, you know, for me, if, if I'm sitting there uh, at 19 and I watch Carolina pick, you know, Rody and Amarov, and then at 20, there's Seth Jarvis sitting there. He's a guy I've really liked. Yeah, if you're Detroit, you go up and you trade for Seth Jarvis because I think he's he's outstanding depending on who else is on the board because if there are two other guys, you know, you like on your board that you think will be there at 32 and then later in the 40s, then maybe you hang on to both of those so you can get both those guys. But it's it's really tricky. I think you only make that deal if you're Detroit. If there's a guy that's uh, a clear clear guy who should go 10, 11, 12, that's now sitting there at 20. I agree because if it's just two, if it's just guys you want, like ultimately you could hang tight, make your pick at 32, and I gotta think it's easier to trade up from like 46, 48, whatever that um, Oilers pick in the second round is to like 34 than it would be from 32 to 20 in terms of like additional cost. Like I don't think all 12 spot d- jumps are, um, are, are made equal in terms of cost. So if there, if there's, if there's guys you like it in the, and there's several of them still there, which, you know, there very well could be, then I think you hang tight. But I, I agree if it's a Jarvis or if it's an Amirov, like those are guys who I think it's, it's fine to push some chips in for. Yeah, completely agree. All right. Uh, next question is from. Uh, Nathan and Nathan asks if Detroit lands first overall, so it's one of our favorite questions. Uh, if Detroit lands first overall and Ottawa winds up with third and fourth and your Iserman and the offer is made, would you swap one for three and four? And this could only happen, um, if, if either the kind of preseason lottery rules are enacted or under the kind of more recent reverting to the old rules policy if if a team jumped up to won the lottery but had to only settle for the two spot because I guess that I guess that's Buffalo or something like that Buffalo would be the the team that could do that under the proposed version yeah yeah okay so basically there's that if 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 the Red Wings land first and Ottawa has 
three and four in your Iserman? Do you do that? This might be the last time we answer this a question like this on this podcast. Yeah, I think uh, because after that we'll, we'll sort of know what the scenario is. Yeah. I think the the pure mathematical piece of it is uh, you make that deal because the combined value of three and four is is greater than the than pick one. That being said, I think if I'm Steve Eisenman, I need to be able to knock this pick out of the park, and so I want to err on the side of a player that has a little bit more certainty. And to me, that that guy is Alexi Lafreniere. I think he's the most certain of the players. You have to reach what his potential is, and you couple that with the fact that his ceiling is higher than all of these guys. You know, he's the guy where, to me, the mold that I see him in is is like a John Tavares mold, and I feel reasonably confident that he is going to be able to get somewhere in that ballpark with a floor that's much higher than than a lot of these guys. So to me, even though the math kind of suggests three and four, I think in this specific situation at Detroit – you know, you maybe stick with one unless you're supremely confident that the guys you could get at three and four are going to hit their potentials. Yeah, I mean, I, personally, I, I would do it. I think Stutzel and Raymond and or, or Rossi, any two of those three, uh, that seems like, you know, foundation kind of guys. Maybe not like in the same way as a Lafreniere. But um, I think I'm making that deal. But for that reason, I don't think Ottawa's offering a deal like that. I, like, I just think like I think you can make a good case to accept, a good case not to accept. And either way, uh, I don't think Otto was doing it. So, you know, take that, I guess, for, uh, for what it's worth. Yeah, I don't, yeah, at the end of the day, this is all hypothetical because Otto was not offering this deal. Alright, and then, uh, last one is from Nick Glimsdahl. He says, predict next year's starting lineup, including draft picks, free agents, and restricted free agents. This could be a whole article. Well, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, by starting lineup, I'm going to just presume, you know, the the four, the three forwards, two defensemen, and a goalie. Is that fair? Or are we going all 23? Uh, let's just do like the the lineup who could be on the ice. All right. So I think, um, you know, I think your your starting lineup is probably, uh, you know, Bertuzzi, Lark, and Mantha are probably going to stick together as a line. I think from a defenseman standpoint, uh, you're probably going to have. You know, Patrick Nemeth and let's say his his D partner is going to be, uh, I don't know, more at Sider. I'm going to just go out there and say that. And then goaltender-wise, I think you got Jonathan Bernier. But I think the next line that's over the boards, I think the wings do bring you, back You can do the full, like, 12-6. I just meant, like, you don't need to do right. scratches. Yeah. All right. All right. Fair enough. So then uh, Larkin, Bertuzzi, Mantha. I think the wings bring back Sam Gagne. I'm going to just go ahead and award the Red Wings the, the first overall pick. So Alexi Lafreniere is is now um, going to be on the roster. I think Robbie Fabry is back. So I think he'll be there as well. I think your third line, um, you're potentially looking at, uh, you know, Valtteri Filppula. I think Timoshev will be back as well. And I think you're probably going to have, like, Luke Glendening there, a fourth line. Sedina? Uh, potentially. Yeah, or sorry, yeah, completely skipped on Zadina. So move Zadina to the second line, Fabry down to the third line, and then your your fourth line you'll have a uh, kind of Nielsen, Glenn Denning, and oh, I don't know. Let's go with uh, Chase Pearson just for you, Max. That is, there it is. So that'll be that'll be your twelve, and then uh, I think on defense, you know, you'll have Patrick Nemeth, you'll have Danny DeKaiser, you have Moritz Sider, uh, I uh, you'll have Philip Ronick. I think you have Alex Biega in the lineup as well. And then this is the tricky part. I think you're going to have a free agent defenseman that comes in. Um, who it is is going to be a, a, a tough guess. 
I think for me, I'd probably, you know, think about a, a cheaper defenseman down here, potentially a, uh, you know, like a Dmitry Kulikov or a another guy in that kind of mold. I'm not sure who exactly it'll be, but I think the Wings do go out and get at least one free agent defenseman. I just can't see them uh, running it back with the same group. And then Gustav Lindstrom, I don't think is uh, making the cut just yet, but. That's kind of where I think that happens, and then and then goalie wise, um, you know, let's say it's it's Jonathan Bernier and Thomas Grace. I like that. Um, I'm surprised you didn't go with your your boy Chris Tanev for that defenseman. Uh, I think Tanev's a little too old at this point for me to to jump on board with with him there. I mean, I think you know the the possibilities are endless. At the end of the day, it's got to be a defenseman who's willing to take a deal for you know, less than than three and a half million and not willing to take a deal for more than two years. And I think with those stipulations, whoever you end up, you know, picking for the Red Wings, I mean, it could be a number of guys. I mean, it could be Andre Sakara. It could be, uh, you know, Dmitry Kulikov, like we said. You could get, um, you know, a number of other guys to to do that position. But at the end of the day, that's what they got to take. Are you – in your situation, they have Alexi Lafreniere – in that situation, are you still a hard line no on, on someone on reaching into like the higher end of like the Tory Krug type? Yeah, I'm still a hard end no because I think Krug, I think Lafreniere still doesn't move them out of a bottom five team next year. Uh, I think you're still talking about a bottom five team. Look at how Edmonton's been consistently, even with McDavid and Dreisaitl, they have not really moved the needle until this season. So I think it's important to realize that while you need to add elite talent, you still need to really fill out the roster around them. So uh, I don't think you make that jump just yet. Now, if you pick top five again next year, and let's say, you know, you're, you're taking a guy like uh, Atu Rati or, or some of the other, you know, top players in the draft next year, then then yeah, then that's when you make the move. Are you waiting until 2022? When the, when, isn't that when Seth Jones' deal is up? <laughs> I think so, but no, I think, uh, <laughs> I think at that point you're looking – to see if you're able to make some trades yeah. uh, or if there's a big free agent that you could poach in, in 2021. And you're also part of it's going to be how well, uh, you know, more Sider looks. I think that's the other key piece to all of this, because if, if he develops really, really well, you know, you may not need uh, to be as aggressive or you may want to be even more aggressive in the season to get someone via trade. So I think that'll ultimately dictate how aggressive uh, the Red Wings choose to be. I am going to give them the fourth pick for my my version because I think it's only fair that if uh, if one one side of this is the most optimistic, the other is the most pessimistic. So, how about um, Larkin, Mantha, Bertuzzi, Philpola, Zadina, Fabry? Uh, if they get the fourth overall pick, I know you're probably saying Marco Rossi, Rossi or Raymond, one of the two, right? Yeah. So Rossi. I think it's interesting because he probably has to be in the NHL because I don't think you want him going back and repeating junior, right? Yeah, I think he's – I think if you're talking about the two guys most likely to be in the NHL next year from this draft, I think it's Lafreniere and Rossi. So let's say third line Rossi uh, at center and on the wings you're going to have – you're going to have to play him with someone – Decent. I, I did like the idea to bring back Gagne. Definitely going to be Timoshov in there. And then uh, Glenn Denning, because I think you, they're going to need... What's up? 
Or do you bring up uh, Rasmussen? You know, I chose not to in my my lineup. But I'm I if they if 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 they don't have their if they don't have like a, a Byfield or a Rossi in the lineup, then I would. But I think I don't think it's like a problem to start him there. You could also put him on the fourth line, although I think you kind of have to for now. You know, that's Franz Nielsen's domain until otherwise proven one way or the other, right? The fourth line center spot. Yeah. Yeah. So. I would say that third line center job is you can just pencil it in as young center. If you, if you get Marco Rossi, then that's I think it. I don't know. I'm not sending him back to Ottawa. Like, are you? No, I'm definitely not. <laughs> so it's your young center job for that. Either him or, or Rasmussen or Byfield or whatever. Um, and if if it's if you take Raymond, then I don't think you're probably putting him right in the NHL. And so then I think it's Rasmussen. So um, on the wings, I think it's Timoshev and either Glendening or Helm. And then on the bottom line, you're looking at uh, Nielsen at center, whichever one of Glendening or Helm you didn't put on the third line. And is it Svechnikov? Is it Giovanni Smith? Is it uh, Matthias Brome? Who we haven't talked about yet. We should do that next episode. Um, yeah. I'm going to say Giovanni Smith for now. All right. I think that's completely reasonable. And, you know, the the other thing we didn't even entertain up front was, are you buying out Franz Nielsen? And, you know, the other player we didn't really talk about was just an advocator in any of these lineups. So, again, is he, is he bought out? Is he in Grand Rapids? It's a... I wouldn't. I don't think. I don't think the buyout route is the way to go there. It's at least entertainable with Nielsen because there's only two years left. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. I think Ablicator, you're either keeping around as like a 13th, 14th forward, which is fine, or 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 you're just going to bury the contract. But like, I don't think he projects in the top 12. Like, is he better than any of those players we just said at this no, point? He's not. I don't think so. So, um, but you know, he, he's still you know he's he's a good locker room guy and all that stuff. Like he's, you know, if you want to keep him around as the 14th forward, I think it's fine. But at some point, like being a good locker room guy doesn't doesn't guarantee a spot in the, in the on the ice, you know. Yep. Um, on defense, I'm going to go to Kaiser Hronik. I agree with Nemeth Sider, uh, Biega. Oh, is he the six seven or is he? Yeah, it's either him or uh, it's, it's Gustav Lindstrom at six seven. I mean, it could be Biega Lindstrom at five six. It yeah, could be. It could be. Biega Bowie at 5'6". It could be... I don't think it would be Bowie Lindstrom, although that stylistically kind of works, actually. But they're, they're both younger guys. Um, man, I don't know. I don't know who the who the free agent is. Like, I think we've talked on the show before about Trevor Van Riemsdyk. I think you could make a, you know, decent enough case for, like, a... I don't know, like a Joel Edmondson, but maybe he doesn't get... Maybe he doesn't get out of Carolina. Um... You know, you're looking for people who are going to take those short deals, so that's that's the issue here. Um, so I'll, I guess I'll say Trevor Van Riemsdyk and and Biega or Lindstrom, and then um, you know Bowie or Lindstrom as the seventh. But I think if it's, I don't think Lindstrom's going to be the seventh, so I'm going to amend that right there. Lindstrom's either in the projecting to be in the the six or or back in GR, kind of in the Philip Hronik mold. He did that. Um, you know, where, where he started the year in the AHL two years ago and then came up midway through. And I don't think he's Philip Peronic, but I, I just think like, it's not the, it's not the most urgent thing in the world that he be in the NHL next year, even though I think he probably could handle it. Um, and then in net, I'm going to say Bernier Cam Talbot. Yeah. 
I think that's uh, I think that's pretty good. No real variance though. Like no, I don't think. I mean, we a couple different names here and there, but I think we we generally agree. There's a move to be made on defense, a move to be made in net. If they opt to make one at forward, I guess that's there's reason. There's certainly plenty to upgrade, but I don't know that there's like quite like the gaping, like what goes here. Like you have at least pieces you could put in your bottom six. Um, if you're the Red Wings, that, that you, you know, especially with like, like I didn't put Sveshnikov in my lineup. Did you? I don't remember. No, yeah. I didn't. And, uh, that's just cause again, you know, there's a lot of young guys I think you could make different cases for and, and maybe say something a little bit more compelling, but at the end of the day, it's, we're talking about kind of smaller pieces here. Yeah. Like I, I think you could put Sveshnikov where I put Smith and I think that would be fine. He's not waiver eligible, so you're risking him by by exposing him there. But you know, from what I saw this year, like when Giovanni Smith was up, he he did make an impact on the game, and he scored a little bit. He he caused a little bit of havoc. I'm not, I don't think he's going to project to be like a you know a, a high end offensive player or anything like that. But I think for for that kind of role, like he's not just a a, a checking player. Like he he added some offense when he was in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, he was very effective, so I think he's a great option on the fourth line. Yep, all right. All right, I think that is going to do it for us for today. Thank you, as always, for listening, and hopefully by the next time we talk, uh, we'll have some clarity and, and some, some new insights, something new to discuss about the NHL draft. Until then, hang tight and take care.